Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 10 of season number 3 of Musicians for Mental Health. On this podcast, we speak with musicians openly and honestly about mental health without the veil of lyrics. We're not mental health professionals, we're not licensed therapists or counselors, we are people that have had our own personal experiences and battles through mental health and our own journeys through mental health, and we just want to shed light on these things. On this episode, I have an incredible conversation with Monica Strutt of the band The Last Martyr. Um, We had a great time talking. I really appreciate Monica's point of view and being so open and honest with me and uh, allowing you guys the chance to hear her perspective on her mental health journey and hopefully it'll be something that you guys uh, can learn from and and take things away from we talked a lot about depression anxiety insomnia Um, we touched on suicide as well along with a variety of other things relating to our music and kind of the being a female in the male-dominated industry and specifically a a very male-dominated genre Um, but again i just want to thank monica for having this conversation with me Uh, i think it was great i had an awesome time talking with her and definitely looking forward to um, having more conversations and exploring it a little bit deeper so for now though let's just dive in this is my conversation with monica strutt of the band the last martyr not a problem. So, uh, to kick things off on the episode, I do start with the same boring ass question every time, simply because I refuse to sit down and think of something better. It's the simple introduction. Who are you? Little background on yourself and kind of why we're having this conversation. Yeah, my name is Monica. I'm from uh, a Melbourne heavy band called The Last Martyr, Melbourne, Australia. And aside from being a musician, I also work in the music industry industry um mentoring bands and as a journalist and marketer so um yeah I just love to be around heavy music in particular but I love all the music yeah that's dope and you know I think that's that's one of those things to like you're one of the very first people probably like I said I've been doing this for like 20 years the podcast is three ish years old now and I think you're probably like the third person that is also a journalist of sorts. And you know what I mean? Like has some of that, that base of knowledge and kind of understands like there's not trying to brag on, on myself or anything, but like there's a different type of value to music journalism rather than just traditional media journalism and things like that. When you're really looking at trying to elevate the, the industry and the scene and being able to, to very nichely, look at things and for you being in a a band as well kind of almost having insider information right like I know these are the things that companies are looking for here's how we can market to that yeah I think that's definitely one of the reasons why I got into it I mean I've always been um, a writer I've always loved writing that's definitely sort of my natural way of being able to express myself clearly Um, for some reason when I write things just come through in a way that they don't necessarily when just talking. Although I feel like through 
different sort of experiences, I've definitely gotten better at being able to be more articulate um, in that. But 100%, I got into journalism to learn and to understand the music industry better. I was in a band for like six years back in Sydney when I lived in Sydney and I feel like the music industry changed a lot throughout yeah. that time being being in that band and all of a sudden social media just absolutely became more business orientated rather than sort of self-expression and a way to communicate with people so yeah I, I got into like marketing and I sort of dialed up my music journalism as a way to kind of infiltrate the system and <laughs> when that band broke up I thought there's no way in hell that I'm going to spend another six years getting my band back to what was essentially still the very beginning of our career I want to find a way to learn more and um, to do to make less mistakes and be a bit more strategic yeah and I, I think you know within that too like Obviously, every band is going to go through some of those growing pains and, you know, there's no secret recipe for it. But having that knowledge, you know, of a being in a previous band that, you know, worked through some of that, but more importantly, being kind of on the inside of the industry, it's easier to say, hey, instead of spending the first year playing in garages, we know we can do it this way. And this is how we're going to market that. And, you know, we can do especially with the digital age, like Spotify, I know if I get on curated playlists, that's going to amplify us more than playing a show to 50 people as great as that is. It's not the same correlation of, of power. Yeah. And I think that's one of the core differences is the approach to shows and having a bit more strategy because the previous bands, we were all like really, really young when we first started that. And it was still a little bit of, you know, this necess wasn't necessarily wrong for the time, but it was all about playing as many shows as you can and just getting in front of people. And so the approach to The Last Martyr um, has always been build online first and actually have an audience there when yeah. you do go and play the show. So we didn't play shows for a really, really long time. And the first show that we played ended up being like an interstate mini festival and it was a really great first show for us. Um, so, yeah, that it's um, definitely... It, it, there was a lot of like positive things that we, we did in the last project, but um, being able to kind of learn from that um, has been really helpful. Yeah, for sure. And and that's something I've told artists as well. Like by no means do I think I'm I'm, you know, an expert on anything, but I've seen it, you know, again, being uh in the journalism and, and music journalism for 20 years, to your point, you know, like the I think the misconception is people think, oh, I have to play as many shows as possible. I, I need to be out every weekend, maybe sometimes throughout the week. And that can be beneficial. But the flip side of that is now you're not a, a need to see because I play every weekend. So I don't have to go to the show this weekend. I'll see them next weekend. I exactly. can go this time. Yeah. But if you make yourself a little bit more of a rarity, now people are like, oh shit, like the last murder is playing this weekend. We, we've got to go. Like, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And um, then, uh, you know, it's, it's hard for the artist though, because you just want to play as much as possible and you just want to get on those right. stages. And like, I think it's still so important, especially, you know, if you're in high school or at the beginning and you don't have a lot of experience on stage in that setting, then by all means play, 
play every street corner that you can. Right. Um, but there gets to a point where I think one of the core things that I learned from being a journalist and um, working in media and having some PR experience as well is I really started to learn um, the, I guess, the Hollywood spin and mm-hmm. being being able to look at something from an outsider's perspective and really study the bands that appeared like they were buzzing in air quotes um, and being like, why, why is everyone talking about them? What is it about this project that's seemingly come out of absolutely nowhere that's gotten everyone buzzing? And it was more of that exclusivity, I guess, in terms of live shows and choosing the right live shows to play, but also building a brand online that, um, people resonated with and that also kind of you know talk, you know being able to sell yourself in a way that makes you seem a little bit bigger than what you are so that's definitely something that like PR and um, journalism has taught me is that yeah I call it the Hollywood spin it's it's like yeah. it's not lying or anything like that it's just being able to twist things and know your strengths and understand how to highlight the strengths and the achievements that you've had yeah for sure and I think too within that is you know, playing a ton early is great, like you said, for building kind of your your stage presence and knowing how to react on stage to different things and and how that all works. But the flip side of that too is if you've only got two original songs and the rest are covers, they're not coming to see you. They're coming because they know the song. You know what I mean? Like there's, it's still not quite a draw to you as a band. So building up that online presence for six months to a year building your own original work as well so that when you do play a show it's this is us we're not just some guys you know covering blink 182 like okay everybody knows blink they're going to sing along that's not a measure of you yeah and i think it's easy to get caught up in that because doing cover songs gets you like a shit ton of views on like tiktok <laughs> right. and youtube and everything and there's absolutely bands that have done it really well in terms of they've used that to leverage their original stuff but then for other bands they get kind of sucked into that wormhole of then only being known as a covers band so it's such a fine it's such a fine line and yeah it's just been really interesting for me because I've always kind of I'm I I guess it just sounds like really bad but there's like an old school of thought that kind of looks down upon um, artists that do covers I guess and that lean on that a bit too much but I've been seeing a bit of a cover resurgence on TikTok um, as I mentioned so yeah I think it's definitely a a fine line but um, ultimately I think a lot of artists get into this because they want to express themselves and some people do express themselves very well through covers you know they choose songs that they just absolutely love and that gives them joy and that that's absolutely fine but for me um, you know going back to what I was saying about writing being sort of my first instrument of self-expression I don't think that that would be a pathway that I would feel um I would feel fulfillment from yeah and that I mean I've talked to to artists about that side of stuff too like it's you can tell the difference a lot of times in like really popular pop music right like the top 40 stations and stuff not saying that some of those people aren't honest with their music or whatever but the alternative and heavy music scene, pop punk, things like that, like the artists are writing about themselves and truly feel what these songs are. They're not having a bunch of guest writers and just singing somebody else's words. And I think that goes into the cover thing too. As much as you may resonate with a song, it's somebody else's words. It's not fully your story. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, everyone's different. My, my partner's a musician as well. And, um, you know, he, he's been in, a, uh, in original bands, he's been in cover bands and honestly, he just, just gets, he's a bass player though, not right. necessarily <laughs> a songwriter, although you know, he writes songs musically, just not lyrically. And, and he like, he has absolutely no issue. He just wants to play and that's totally fine as well. And he's actually taught me a lot about, you know, getting my head out of my ass and stop being <laughs> so stuck up in that regard. And it's like, sometimes I envy that that right. um, he can get just fulfillment from, um, you know, just playing music for music's sake. And I'm at a point at least, yeah, I haven't gotten to that point yet. I, I still want to have my original music and I want to achieve all these big goals and everything like that. And um, I think that that's, that's fine, but also there's like a bit of a negative side to that too. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, it, it comes with time and, everybody's going to get fulfillment out of different things too, right? Like every artist in the music industry isn't fulfilled the same way. So, mm. you know, there's definitely people that are more like you where it's about writing the lyrics and, and telling these stories and being able to vocalize things. And then like your, your partner, that's just like, I'm on stage playing a fucking guitar or a bass, you know, like I'm good. It doesn't matter. Like I'm having fun. Um, and that's not to say one's more right than than the other by any means. Um, but I think even if you go outside of the music industry, there's very much that same thing where some people find joy in painting and others are like, this is the most boring thing I've ever done. So yeah. it just you got to find what works for you and what fuels you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, let's talk a little bit about the the development of The Last Martyr. You, like you said, you've you had the, the previous project, you you know, get into music journalism and stuff and um, the band starts to build and you guys are in this unique position where you in, in the music journalism stuff, being able to kind of help guide it in a different light. And then COVID comes around and fucks everything up. And then you've got, you know, just this, as we're coming out of, of the COVID time, like I think for you guys, especially too, still, shows are becoming more popular, but it's still not back to 100% of what the scene was. Mm. Yeah, 2020 was interesting because there was so much that came out of it that was the happiest time of my life, <laughs> which I'll explain how that could possibly be something in, the, in what was just such a treacherous year for the world. Um, but then also it was definitely like the darkest time of my life in the second half of the year. And I guess to kind of preface this up until, up until early 2020, I had started this, um, I, I was playing in the band and trying to grow the band and everything. And we, we were pretty consistent and starting to yeah play the right shows that would put us in front of people. And we were getting, you know, media attention and, and starting to grow and, and develop like a little bit of a buzz, I suppose. Um, and then also I was trying to grow my mentoring business and establish myself um, as a music journalist and, and grow like my side hustle. Um, and that was something I was really focused on. And at the same time, I was working a desk job. And um, for me, having to balance just this immense like lust for wanting to just be a creative and just work in the music industry 
um, you know, always gets to a point in a lot of the jobs that I've had where it starts to kind of like wear on you and everything like that. So even though I had, I had so much freedom at this desk job, honestly, like, especially during 2020, like the work, just the workload just got less and less and I was still getting paid the same and stuff. Um, but it was like really, really soul sucking to have to go into work every day. And meanwhile, I'm trying to, you know, I'm waking up at like 6.30 in the morning to go go on podcasts from podcasters in like the UK and the US. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm doing like, you know, early morning consultation, coaching calls with fans overseas. And then I'm going to work and working an eight hour day, commuting, going home, and then often doing like consultation calls of a nighttime as well until 10 p.m. or creating a course or rehearsing with my band, blah, blah, blah. So it was like this... I just desperately, desperately needed to quit this day job, but it was paying the rent. Um, When 2020 hit, I was able to work from home and not having that commute. And especially with having the workload and everything diminished from this, from this desk job um, gave me so much more, so many more hours in the day and gave me like so much freedom and everything. And I was still getting paid the same. We had a lot of like government subsidies around the time that COVID hit where um, they would help employers pay their employees until we kind of mm-hmm. knew what's, what, what was happening. Um, but we were also in lockdown. So Melbourne had the strictest lockdowns in the world, no shows. We had to just stay inside. And I loved it because I finally got this reprieve from having to commute to a desk job and being there and being bored out of my brain and everything like that. So honestly, the and I launched this... Um, yeah, I launched this like membership program for musicians, which was like incredibly fulfilling. And then COVID dragged on, obviously can't record, can't write. Um, we managed to in between times record an EP or just remotely. Um, and which was called Purgatory, which came out in 2021. Um, but then because of the lockdowns, uh, I guess it- everyone it was kind of wearing on everyone and and I think a lot of musicians can relate to the fact that you know time you feel like there's always this sense of like time is of the essence because of Mm -hmm. how the entertainment industry glorifies youth and you know obviously as an artist innately you want to create so that started to wear I also um, had you know family interstate that started to have some serious health issues and I was not allowed to visit them because the borders were shut so It was like, that was a really, really dark time, but it was just, it's just so weird looking back because it's contrasted with one of the happiest times, which is finally this ability to wake up and create every day and have all all of this time back and none of the financial worries. Um, So yeah, 2020 was just crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I, I think that's cool that, you know, you can recognize that disbalance right being able to see like i know that i'm not necessarily not that you were unhappy with the desk job but like at the same time i'm not happy or fulfilled by it it's what i need Mm. to do to get by um and then being able i can understand where you're coming from on like it being a good thing for you because you did end up being remote and being able to to kind of slowly transition to what you wanted to do. And it wasn't as jarring as, as just walking in one day and being like, Hey guys, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. And if I pay rent, I pay rent. If not, okay. Like we'll figure it out. Yeah, totally. And 
yeah, it's just, it's, it's this weird like yearning. It's like, it's this feeling of I'm not where I'm supposed to be. And that's, you know, when, when you have that as a musician for so long, like it really just like weighs on you and yeah, like, and around the same time I got like headhunted by, you know, Warner Music to run like this heavy music publication and, um, and that was like income on top of um, everything else. And just to feel like stable and to be recognized by the music industry for my work um, also felt really good. But yeah, it, it was just a strange, a strange, very contrasting time. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about how that kind of translated into the mental health side of things for you. Obviously, like you said, the Australia being a little bit different than like the US, because when we think of the States, like they didn't close the borders for us during COVID. Like you could still travel. It was highly not recommended, but like yeah. they weren't going to stop you from going somewhere else. Um, but in, in, you know, Australia and, and several other countries, I think Canada was very similar where like they locked down the States or providences and regardless of your reason, really like, Hey, I've got family that needs me. Sorry about you. Like, we're just not going to allow that. What does that do to you in that time where like there's so much uncertainty and kind of just a a longing or a yearning, you know what I mean? To to be with your family and connected with people. Yeah, well, I think any human being feeling, you know, being told that they can't travel somewhere or can't do something that they would normally have the freedom to do is going to feel trapped and not going to feel good about being told that they can't do something and it and it's strange because you know Victoria where I'm from um the state of Victoria had the harshest lockdowns in the whole of Australia and so we were bombarded by all of this media and all of our families going like what the hell you can't travel more than five kilometers from where you live um which I think is like maybe like three miles or something yeah, like <laughs> three three and a half something like that yeah yeah it's, it's not far um you cannot tra- you can only leave your house once a day to go for a one hour walk for exercise and then you must return to your house and it you know we're being bombarded by family and friends that are being like what the hell like are you okay blah 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 um and from our perspective we're also being told like this is what's safest and we're all not understanding COVID as much as what we do now at this point. So it's, it's, it was this weird, again, contrast where on one hand I respected, I actually like respected our government and I understood why they'd put such harsh parameters in place, but at the same time, it didn't feel good. And it it was, you know, it felt like it was a bit beyond a joke sometimes. And um, so, so that's all happening for us down here. And so um, then I received a call out of the blue that my mum was having some health issues and it was very sudden and had to go into the hospital and have a very, very serious operation that has like quite a high mortality rate from. And um, she doesn't have, at the time, she didn't have any family like near where she lived and I was right. really the only person that could be there for her. Um, so I didn't think that that was going to actually affect me as much as what it did. But um, it, as um, as the situation kind of unfolded, it started to bring up a lot of 
childhood wounds and like all of these things. And I was like, wow, like this is crazy. I never thought that, you know, this situation from my childhood was actually affecting me. And so then I had to go on my own mental health journey about figuring out how I was actually going to handle that because there was literally nothing I can do. You know, I tried everything to get an exemption to cross the border, to be there for her um, in hospital and during her recovery and stuff like that. Um, there was literally nothing I could do from a legal standpoint. Um, all I could do was just, I guess, call her and feeling so powerless was just, yeah, awful situation. And it it was kind of like a battle that I had to go through for about six months. Um, and, but I'm glad that I went through that because some really positive things came out of it um, as well. Yeah. Well, like you mentioned, the kind of the childhood trauma and and stuff like that, you know, I think that was one of those things, obviously people dealt with, with COVID differently and had different experiences, but I do think, you know, that a lot of people going through those lockdowns was the first time that they actually had to face some of those, you know, locked away traumas or, or issues. And it's, I think hopefully has moved more people into the like, cool, maybe we should be fucking talking about mental health. Like, this is a problem. Um, If you don't mind, you know, go into that a little bit as far as like, you know, recognizing this trauma kind of resurfacing and and saying like, hmm, you know, did did I never deal with that? Or, you know, what happened here? And how is this, you know, or why is this affecting me now? Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating looking back because I can put the pieces together so clearly with the retrospect. But at the time, um, there, I, I definitely, I, I, I kind of was seeing it a little bit, but now obviously I see it clearly, um, a clearer. So basically, like, as I said, you know, my mum doesn't have like a lot of family. And part of the reason for that is, and, and trigger warning here is, um, my auntie actually committed suicide when I was about 12 years old and I wasn't close to her at at all. I actually grew up in Singapore, so I had never met her many times and my mum wasn't super close to her either. And so I never thought that that, um, something like that happening would have any sort of effect on me. Um, Unfortunately as well, my auntie's daughter, my cousin, who was the same age as me, actually also committed suicide a couple of many years later um, when she was 19 and and left two small kids. And again, I was not close to my cousin. um, Although I was, I knew her better than my auntie because we were the same age, you know, we we were kids together and everything like that. And just like the horrors of leaving children behind um, also is just, you know, it's an awful thing to, to witness as well. So that's sort of, two instances that happened, you know, during my childhood and teen years that I didn't actually think that I needed to process. I didn't grieve at the time because in my head, I didn't know these people. However, all these years later, when my, you know, almost a decade or more later, when my mum got unwell, all of a sudden uh, it made me face mortality in like the female lineage of my family And my worries about losing her um, were all of a sudden, it for some reason, all I could think about was my cousin and my aunt, and I didn't know why. And um, I started to develop like an insomnia because of the anxiety and the worry and the processing that was happening about yeah. that. 
Um, and it was even weird, like just going back to, yeah, just acknowledging like the female lineage. I would have like, this is so crazy. Like, I've never shared this before, but it's just like, it's so wild how the brain works and how like, I also believe that there was like something I'm very spiritual as well, but I was mm-hmm. having dreams night after night about pregnancy and finding out I was pregnant or being a mum or um, just about, I guess, other people, like, like babies and like basically, yeah, just it was all of this like female lineage in my family coming to the surface. And I was yeah. like, I was dreaming about my mom and my auntie and my cousins. And it was literally all I could think about for six months. And it was like crazy because like I said, I was like an insomniac. I wasn't sleeping. Thankfully I was seeing a psychologist and, you know, people kept recommending to me that I'd go on medication because I need to sleep and everything. And I really did not want to do that. Eventually I did, which I'm, I'm so glad that I did because it ended right. all of that. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was just like this immense processing. And I think like what you were saying about being locked down and being forced to remain inside really forces us to go inside of ourselves. And for the first time, silence around us really forces us to process things that we never, never would have anticipated. And out of that, you know, I mentioned um, there were some positives out of that. All of a sudden, out of the woodwork, my other cousin on that side of the family started to reach out to me more. Are you okay down in Melbourne? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, which I, I never spoke to her really before that. My nana started to call me more often. My dad started to call me more often. All these people just came out of the woodwork to support me, which did cushion everything that I was going through um, a little yeah. bit, a little bit more. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting, you know, you mentioned that, that some of that trauma processing for you manifested as insomnia. And I think it's, it's, I'm going to use the word funny, but it's not intended to be funny. Like it's funny because people kind of write those things off, right? Like, oh, I'm not sleeping well. It's not mental health related. It's, you know, it's something else. And it's like, no, like one of the very first things that I've seen, I'm 38. I've dealt with depression virtually my whole life, you know, and I lost my brother to suicide a few years back as well. And so like one of the first things that I recognize when I start to spiral is I stop sleeping well you know, Mm. my mind won't shut off. And so many people just write it off to, oh, you know, I just had an active mind that day. And it's like, nope, your body was trying to tell you something, you know, like there's something here for you to process. And I think it's important for people to hear that because, you know, I'm sure there's going to be people listening to this that are like, man, I, I don't sleep well. Like, what am I subconsciously either avoiding or, you know, trying to, to distract myself from? Um, and I think, you know, you mentioned the, the female lineage and, and as a man, I can tell you, we think about that sort of stuff too, you know, as far as like, yeah, I, like I'm the last of, of my name and my father's side right now. And it's just one of those things where you start to, to kind of look at that, that chain of your family and you're like, man, like, what is, what is happening? Like, if this and this happen, where does this you know, the tree falls, right? Essentially for the family tree. Like if, if I end up not having a kid, the branch of my family tree kind of dies with me. And it's a weird, 
weird feeling, but I think too, for, especially for, for females and I'm not trying to speak for, for you guys, but I, I do think, you know, there's that, you know, kind of primal inherent motherly, uh, instinct. Right. And so there is something to be said about, like, even if you don't necessarily want to have kids, your mind thinks about those things where like, how could someone leave their children behind? How could this thing happen? Mm. Yeah, I mean, for me, I, I don't know if I if I want to have children. I've never had like, right. had that <laughs> instinct. But I think like at the time I was, I guess, acknowledging how much pain like the women in my family had gone right. through until that point, even the women that are still here with us, the amount of crazy trauma that they've gone through is unthinkable and so you know as I'm sure like a lot of people are in the position where they don't know whether they want to have kids or not and there's like there's like a time it's like well I think like maybe the buck should stop here maybe we shouldn't continue because the family's already gone through so much and I was reading um, this book recently called women without children and it talks about that and not want like a lot of women don't want to have kids because of the fact that the 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 family line has already gone through too much trauma Mm -hmm. and and not and choosing not to like continue that is um, a way of I guess yeah just I guess choosing not to carry that on or or, or whatnot um, yeah so yeah it, it's just like yeah I can't remember where I was going with that but yeah it was it was like so much to process that came out of um, yeah that yeah it's just. And, oh, sorry, back to what you were saying before about the sleep thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just I just want to also say that that's, sleep is the first thing for me to go as well whenever I'm worried about something or upset about something. Um, and historically, like, throughout um, growing up, it wasn't, I don't know if I just did, wasn't able to articulate, but certainly there was a sense that me not sleeping was something not to be taken seriously. And so I don't think it was until this particular situation where I actually looked back at all these phases of my life where I have gone through insomnia because of um, what I now realize is anxiety, but I also didn't realize I was having anxiety at the time. And I just, and when I did eventually go on like medication um, at the end of sort of six months of trying to battle this just with me and my psychologist and and doctor, um, I was like, shit I wish that I had like gone on medication earlier in my life um during this period or this period um and I just yeah I wish that I I think that sleep is something to be taken extremely seriously especially if you yourself are like a touring musician and sometimes we don't get enough sleep and that's fine like every now and then but when it's like this chronic thing then you need to really look into that Yeah. I, you know, I used to intentionally work, um, a closing shift when I worked in retail. And so I intentionally would work late till, you know, 11 o'clock midnight, whatever, stay up till two, three in the morning, and then finally go to sleep. And I, same thing as you, like in retrospect, I'm like, that was my way of just trying to trick my body into like, I was forcing myself to be so tired that Mm. I couldn't not sleep anymore, you know? Oh yeah. And I can tell you a hundred percent that that absolutely fucked me up long-term. Cause like now I have a desk job and whatnot. 
getting up early in the morning is the worst thing in the world for me. Like mm, I hate it. Same. I don't ever feel like I get enough rest. Um, and it's just this really weird, weird thing. And I think it, you also mentioned, you know, kind of the realization that you've had now where it's like, I, I wish I would have, you know, sought help earlier. Like I mentioned, you know, I'm 38 now. I literally just got my diagnosis earlier earlier this year. And I've been dealing with depression as long as I can remember. I'm a, a three-time uh, suicide attempt survivor. I lost my brother to suicide five years ago. And just this year, I was like, I'm going to go see somebody about this, you know? And it's mm. like, why did I allow myself to go so long before asking for help or, you know, trying to, to actualize it? And I think it's important for people to hear that like, yeah, it's scary, right? To go tell a doctor, hey, something not physically is is wrong with me, right? Like mentally, like if you walked in and you're, you have a broken arm, cool. Hey, I've got a broken arm, doc. I'm going to ask for help. But yeah. when it's your mind, it, it does kind of mess with you a little more. But I think it's so important to, to take that step because even just putting a name to what that thing is, whether it's anxiety, depression, borderline personality disorder, whatever it is, now you know how to, to kind of fight it and cope with it and figure out how to dismantle that so that you can move forward. Yeah, I think some of it is having the like having the courage to be like, no, I am worth it. Right. And that's really, really contradictory to probably how you're feeling at the time. And I'm blessed in a lot of ways because I grew up in a family that was, I mean, for all the dysfunction that they had, um, my mom actually, my, my dad didn't believe in mental health at all. Everything was black and white until him. And I've actually seen his stance on that change in very recent years, which is another thing that came out of COVID, which is quite interesting. Um, but my mum always encouraged me to go see counsellors, um, even as a child, like I was in counselling as a child, like through my parents' divorce, which was very, very traumatic to go through. But she she was always an advocate for, for that sort of stuff. I saw a counsellor in my teen years as well. And so I've always um, known that that was a resource that was available and that has helped me like in the past. Yeah. But I still but I'm still someone who put off doing that or who didn't recognize the signs and everything. So it's like, um, it just goes to show like how serious, how we need even more sort of amplification around the fact that mental health professionals are just as important as physical health professionals, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's, it always feels weird to say because you hear so many say it in the wrong type of context, right? Like your mental health is linked to your physical health and vice versa. Unfortunately, a lot of people use that as kind of the jab that, well, you're out of shape and that's why you're unhappy. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying though, is your mind is so fucking powerful that it, it controls all these things. So like it controls your appetite. It controls, you know, your, your sleep and things like that. And, you know, it may not be very likely is not that you're just a lazy person that doesn't want to get up and go to the gym or whatever. It's that 
your mind has adjusted everything in you and released these chemicals inside of you to say, no, that's not, you know, something that feels good to me. Um, and that's where, you know, speaking to a, a mental health professional and, and doctor and potentially going on medication, uh, I think is really helpful because I think more often than not, I don't know the actual stats on this. So if I'm misspeaking, somebody can correct me, but, you know, I think more often than not, the chemical imbalance is a big part of it, whether that's from some sort of trauma that caused it or not. Um, so, you know, an antidepressant is really kind of like a vitamin of sorts. Obviously it's much different, but it's a vitamin of sorts to fix the chemicals in your brain so that the lows aren't as low, the highs can be higher. And, you know, it's, it's just so incredible to me again, that kind of cohesion between the mind and, and body, but people want to se- treat them completely separate. Yeah, I think that we need to come at things, I think we need to come at mental health with, yeah, more cohesion in terms of mind and body, because I feel like whilst, you know, in some times of my life where I have felt depressed, I felt like it was because of um, external situations that I was in um, and internal things that maybe I hadn't dealt with, but also I have gut issues and Mm -hmm. there are, there's such a clear link now in in modern research between gut health and mental health and so these two things aren't separate and it doesn't mean that one is 100% cause of the other and vice versa Um, it's like all a part of the human experience in our meat sack bodies (laughs) (laughs) Um, it but yeah it's very interesting as like yeah I only sort of um, came across articles and and research on the link between gut health and mental health and I was like oh boy I I think that's definitely uh in my case something that's been probably linked forever (laughs) yeah well like you said it may not be the entire cause but yeah it amplifies it you know and if you can take away that amplification then you can get to the root of the problem and figure out you know whether it's like celiac disease or whatever, like obviously there's blood tests for some of those things, but maybe you just have some sort of intolerance for certain types of foods. But if your mind was right, maybe they wouldn't be as severe because you wouldn't be upside down in it. It's, I don't know, it's crazy. And I'm sure there's experts out there that could go into way more detail than either you or I, but (laughs) um, it is, it's, you know, it's funny. I've, I've had these conversations with so many people and, you know, that cohesion between mind and body, a lot of us have all said, like, again, the broken arm thing, right? Like you wouldn't not go to the doctor for a broken arm. So why are you worried about going to the doctor when something's not right in your mind? Um, And it's, it's all about changing that narrative. Mm. Um, there's a friend of mine that I had on the podcast and she talks about mental health and mental illness as mental injury instead, Yeah, because an injury is real. It's visible. It's something people can understand, but illness can be so many things that aren't visible and people don't understand it. So, you know, referencing it as I have depression due to a mental injury. Okay. Well, cool. What are you doing to fix the injury? 
Yeah, I, I love that. And I, I heard you saying that in your, because um, I was listening to like your interviews that you did with like Annie and Michaela mm-hmm. and a, a couple of other um, little snippets of some of your other episodes. And I heard, I heard you bring that up and I just thought, yes, like we need to change the dialogue around that or change the wording um, because it's, yeah, it's, it's absolutely right. Yeah, it's, and that's, you know, I talk a lot about the power of words in these conversations too. And it, if you're having a bad day and you go on Facebook and say, I'm so depressed because, you know, I had a flat tire today. It's like, that's not what real depression is. Can we stop doing Mm -hmm. that? Like, Mm -hmm. let's, let's normalize having a bad day. That's fine. But let's not take away and diminish the value of what anxiety is, what depression is, what bipolar is by reducing it to minor inconveniences. And I think, yeah, I think that's, that's a huge one because then when somebody says, Hey, I'm depressed. Oh, okay. Well, tomorrow will be better. That's not what depression is. No. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's almost this like throwaway phrase. And I think another word, which has maybe had its meaning diminished a little bit, a lot, well, a little bit in recent years is the word trauma too, mm-hmm. because um, it's kind of become this buzzword for Gen Z on TikTok. And whilst like, whilst there's definitely telling stories about actual trauma, um, it's kind of, I, I guess, but at the same time, I understand why it's become this buzzword. It's because everyone's trying to sarcastically deal with their own trauma as well. Right. Um, but I, I heard someone talk about, um uppercase trauma and lowercase trauma and um there could be a like difference between you know I I guess um like more minor trauma but but it's still trauma nonetheless and and the more like severe instances but I don't know I don't know if we need to even categorize things (laughs) like in in that way but yeah I, I guess like yeah that's just definitely a buzzword that that's been floating around a lot yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, I think I I forget who I've had that conversation with. It might have been it might have been Emmy. Um, but talking about like. So many people are scared to say like, oh, you know, this traumatic thing happened to me because as a society, we've always played the well, it could be worse type of stuff. Right. Like, mm. well, but they're starving kids in Africa okay, but that doesn't mean that this thing wasn't traumatic. Like what's traumatic to you is valid and you're allowed to be upset or traumatized by that thing. Just because somebody else had something worse happen to them doesn't make your your issue less. Like, I think the, the example I used was you, we only say that around mental health, right? Like if you had a broken arm, nobody's going to come up to, to you and be like, well, at least you didn't get shot. Like, okay that doesn't make it fucking better (laughs) that's not healing this injury like it's not doing anything constructive necessarily and look I like I think there may be a few instances where sometimes it's like okay to think about well at least I've got a roof over my head at the moment and sometimes putting it in perspective for sure yeah like when I um when I was going through that bout of like anxiety and depression in in 2020 at the end um, and into the beginning of 2021 it one one thing that's sort of I've accumulated like some tools over the years to like 
un- understand when I'm falling into <laughs> da- down that rabbit hole, but also to try and pull me up a little bit more. Um, and one of the things is like gratitude lists. So literally when it feels like there's nothing to be grateful for, sometimes it is drawing upon those basic needs that some people in the world don't have that um, can give you at least something to hold on to, something positive to be grateful for in the darkest times. And for me, it was even on those gratitude lists, it was like running water, like fresh running mm-hmm. water that I can, I can drink that from the tap. And Melbourne has the best water in Australia. And compared to a lot of places in the world, like the fact that I have like a roof over my head and I've got running water is absolutely huge. So sometimes there is a place like when you feel like you have absolutely nothing else and you want to pull yourself out that you can draw on that. But I think like when other people say it to you, I guess that's the difference. It's like, yeah, when other people project um, because it just shows like a lack of empathy, a lack of understanding because we could go on on this cycle forever. Well, um, you've got a broken ankle. Well, at least you don't have a broken leg. Oh, you've got a broken leg. Well, at least you weren't shot. Um, well, at least you didn't die. Well, at least you did die. Like, I don't know. Like, yeah. <laughs> like no, I, I totally agree. There's always by a... soldiers or something, you know, <laughs> yeah. like we can go on this roundabout forever, but like at the end of the day, we're, we're humans and we feel pain and that's, um, and it goes back to like recognizing that I am worthy to feel better. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely agree. And I think it, it's funny because there absolutely is always a step above, right? Like, like you said, it, at least it's not a broken leg. Okay. So it is a broken leg. At least it's not a missing leg or whatever. Like, yeah, w- we could do that until the cows come home. But at the end of the day, you know, it's, and I think we both, the Australian government's similar to the U S government. That's what it feels like. The government does a lot of times is like, well, yeah, we have this societal problem, but at least it's not this. So let's go worry about this other thing instead. Um, mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, but we didn't fix anything. We just acknowledged that there was an issue and we just walked away from it. And I think that's what a lot of times it feels like when somebody says to you, well, at least it's not this other thing. It's like, okay, but you acknowledge that, that I'm hurting. You're just walking away from whatever, you know, and most of us, I think you would agree with me on this. Most of us aren't even asking you to fix the problem. We just want you to hear that we Mm. are having the problem. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's something else that's come like with maturity for me as well is oftentimes like when someone that we love is hurting, we feel an innate sense of want to fix things, to want mm-hmm. to want to fix it and offer solutions. And that's the way, that's definitely the way that my brain works is I'm like, okay, problem solver, like, okay, you're having this problem. Well, have you tried this, this and this? And in recent years, um, you know, actually, I, I think I, one of the core people that taught me this is one of my best friends, Corey. And, and I was telling her about a problem and she sat me down and she's like, do you want advice or do you want me to just listen? That's exactly like, what I've started doing to people. Yes. Oh yeah. my gosh. <laughs> and I thought there's been times where I'm like, no, I really need your advice. Like I've come to you specifically because I know that you've got insight into this. And then other times it's like, I just want you to listen. Like, I don't want to be yep. told any advice right now. I just need to be heard. And um, I think that that's like a really good tool to have in your tool belt because it didn't come instinctually for me at all. And it was something that I had to actually learn, um, but it can be really, really helpful to people. 
Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, because I'm very much the same way. I'm I've always been the fixer and I'm easily one of the most empathetic people in my my friend groups and all that. And I think there's some sort of connection with that. But I'm the same way. I, I couldn't tell you how long ago, probably four or five years ago, I started doing that thing, too, where like a friend would come to me and they'd start complaining. I'm like, all right, time out before you continue. And I want to hear you out. Do you just want to vent or do you want me to help you find a solution for this? Because yeah. that's going to change how this conversation goes, you know, and it it does take people back a little bit the first time you say it to them because they're like, well, what, what's that supposed to mean, you know, but when they recognize that I can help and give advice or if you just need to get the stuff off your chest so that you feel better about it, then talk. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um and like in, in psychology, that's it. like, I think one of the things that is really underestimated is like active listening. And it feels so dumb when you do it. It feels really silly Yes. <laughs> um, because it's like, I am listening and that's how I came up with a solution for your problem. But actually for the other person, and I think a lot of us, I, I don't know, a lot of us have experienced this like growing up and into adulthood and stuff is that you actually don't feel heard if someone's immediately not validating how you feel and just offering a solution because it feels like that the solution's so easy so you shouldn't even worry about mm-hmm. the particular instance and there's no acknowledgement of where you're at and then you feel silly for where you're at or you feel like no one understands you and so yeah something that yeah I've tried to do a little bit more is, is the active listening, which is where you repeat back sort of certain phrases that a friend mm-hmm. is is talking to you about. I've learned that from my partner. My partner's in the mental health field. He's a he's a um a psychotherapist. And so yeah, like I used to like read all of his um like essays and his thesis and stuff yeah. like that. And I, I learned so much. And I think that that's like one of my favorite things is just how simple active listening is. And yeah. A, like asking the question, do you want feedback? Do you want a solution or do you just want to be heard? And then if it is just to be heard or even if it is the solution, like active listening and repeating back what someone has said, like I'm hearing blah, 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 blah. And um, it it's so powerful. It feels so silly when you do it, but it's really yeah. powerful for the other person. Well, it's funny. It's funny you bring that up because I actually, before connecting it to mental health, I learned that in my retail experience, um, I went to a sales counseling thing and we were doing all these different exercises. And one of the things was exactly that, like in a sales situation, if someone says, you know, this is the thing that I need, blah, 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 blah. Right. And you immediately go, okay, cool. It's this piece. This is how much it is, whatever. Well, that's just a transaction that doesn't feel like you listen to them. But if you, Mm. you know, repeat back, okay, cool. So this is the project that you're working on. This is what you want to do. Let's go over here. I think this piece is going to be great. This is what you can do, whatever. Same thing with people talking, you know, when, hey, I'm having a really tough day. You know, I had a flat tire. Then by the time I got to work, this happened. And when you slow down and man, that really sucks about the tire. Like, you know, everything good. You get that taken care of, like take it apart and, and help them through it piece by piece. Um, and show them that you heard their whole story because that's the other side of, of us as fixers. The second we hear the, the end of a problem, 
we try to fix that problem. And it's like, okay, but that problem led to this other problem, which is actually the real problem that they need help with. And now I've done nothing to really help them or fix the situation. So yeah, yeah. It, it's crazy. Um, and I think, you know, it's, there's so much material out there now, especially with YouTube, TikTok, like you can go to find so many resources that are going to help you even just be the friend that that people can vent to or whatever. And again, you don't have to be the one to fix it, but if they're comfortable coming to you, then when, you know, maybe counseling is the solution and you're the one that suggests that, okay, well, I'm a lot more receptive because I know you care. You've shown me that. Mm. Or you've been an example and it's, right. it's worked for you and I admire you or I look up to you or respect you, whatever the, the situation is. And you're more likely to trust or be optimistic that something will work yeah, yeah. for you if a friend or, or yeah someone that you respect or trust recommends it yeah for sure um so kind of as we we transition to the towards the end of this episode i think we've got several more episodes you and i could do cuz there's you know tons of branches of this um but kind of one of the questions i've been doing uh on these podcast is it's super cliche i know so forgive me but it's that <laughs> traditional like knowing what you know now through your mental health journey if you could go back and talk to a younger monica what would that conversation look like what would you tell yourself in those moments oh it always makes me like su super emotional like <laughs> imagining a younger version of myself because i'm like oh um because no one knows what you truly go through right other than you so um yeah uh I think like I would definitely go tell my myself that um I mean first of all to take the not sleeping seriously because that's that is something to be taken seriously and for a while I never told anyone I would struggle in silence and I'm still dealing with the repercussions of having a lot of anxiety around going to bed overnight um and what like worrying that I'm not going to fall asleep and then that makes you not sleep so <laughs> I think just like understanding how important sleep is and and um just telling myself to take that seriously um secondly you know I would definitely tell like little me that you are good enough um because that's just like such a core wound that I think a lot of us struggle with that has so many different branches and repercussions over the years and I I actually saw this like psychic um when I was 17 I think and she was like reading my fortune and she, um she she was telling me like yeah about the future and everything and she's like I just want you to remember you are good enough you are good enough and and sometimes I hear her voice in my I can't even remember anything about the reading whatsoever um, it's like the one thing that stands out and yeah, that was, I, I try and remind myself and have her words repeat in my head whenever I am feeling not good enough, I guess. Um, and I would probably also, um, uh, in terms of like my more recent experience in like 2020 and 2021, I would probably allow, like, I would probably tell myself to drop the to drop preconceived notions on what anxiety medication 
would be. Mm-hmm. I thought that I was strong enough to deal with the insomnia and the anxiety and depression around my situation on my own. And I thought, I'm just going to work through this with my psychologist. But what happens is I've realized that if it goes on for too long, like your, your pathways in your brain fire in a certain way. And I needed medication to intercept that because once I'd strengthened that neural pathway in my brain to think a certain way and to feel a certain way, like there, I, yeah, I needed something external. Yeah. As I said, to intercept that. So I would, would have gone on medication a lot sooner. Um, And I was on it for a year and like, there's definitely like pros and cons. I wrote a song sugar about um, going on SSRIs and the numbness that I felt, but I'm, I'll never regret that decision because the relief that I felt very, very quickly say like saved me like saved my mental health so I think they're the core things you're good enough take your sleep seriously and don't be too good to go on antidepressants because it literally changed my life and in Australia costs five dollars six dollars yeah which I'm so grateful for yeah way more expensive here in the U.S. because you know fuck big pharma but (laughs) yeah fuck them (laughs) but no I I, I do love your examples or, you know, kind of what you would say. It, it reminds me of, um, I had Maddie Mullins on my other podcast and we kind of touched on kind of what he would go back and tell himself because he's a big advocate and um, the medication thing. He, he kind of says the same thing as far as like, you wouldn't, you're not afraid to take ibuprofen for a headache. So don't be afraid to take what you need to, to alleviate anxiety or depression. Um, yeah. But the, the big one was he, he said, uh, and it really hit me and it, it sounds like it's probably, you know, close to yours and may hit you too, was, uh, he would go back and tell a younger version of himself that, you know, you're allowed to, to be angry. You're allowed to, to feel sad and have all these, you know, really big emotions. Um, but when it's time to be happy, you're allowed to be happy. And I was like, Oh fuck. Cause like for so long, I always felt jealous or like not jealous, but like, I always felt like I wasn't supposed to be happy because I had all these other things going on or, you know what I mean? I felt like this kind of almost a regret for being happy because I've not dealt with this other thing or I, you know, Mm -hmm. this relationship still isn't right or whatever. And hearing him say that, I'm like, yeah, how much of my life did I not fully invest in that happiness when I could have? Oh yeah. I'm so glad you brought this up. Cause I was actually thinking about this earlier in our conversation. I just didn't vocalize it. Um, but I truly, truly believe that it is our human right to, to be happy, to experience yeah. happiness. Like that is just something that every single human deserves and should have, and should always work towards having. And we have this like I said, I'm super spiritual. So I think that like, we are here like as, as, um, as, as like souls to experience like the contrast of earth. And that's something that I feel like I've had to come to grips with over the past few years. Cause even though I've experienced like anxiety and depression in very, very dark times, um, I've still like, for the most part being like really optimistic, um, th- even like throughout it all, like in, you know, other, other than those times. Um, and I think the last few years, like I'm just realizing just how stark the contrasts like here 
can be in this like human experience. And so, yeah, I think that we, we come here to experience the light and to experience the dark and we cannot appreciate the light without having experienced the dark. And um, yeah, but, but the light exists for everyone and it's a, it's a right for everyone and we can, we can and should experience it. Yeah. Well, it's, it, I'm going to have to paraphrase it because I don't know the exact quote, but uh, you know, stars are out even when the sun's out, you just can't see them because there's one thing outshining them. So mm. you can only appreciate the beauty of a night sky when it's dark. And, you know, I yeah. think to your point, you know, like we all have these lights and if you don't have any darkness, you can't see those lights. Um, and it's, it's this weird dichotomy that you have to go through. And it is a heavy thing that you have to accept mm. that, you know, sometimes my life is not going to be perfect, but it should and will make me appreciate the good times that much more. Yeah. It's like every action has an equal and opposite reaction, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of those, one of those laws. So I think like that's something really important to remember is if you can think back, if you are going through something really dark, think back to other times where you've seen the, you know, the pendulum swing the other way mm-hmm. and understand that um, this feeling isn't forever. So yeah. yeah yeah it it is again it's very heavy it's hard to deal with sometimes but um it is really important to to kind of take stock in that and and acknowledge it um so as we you know wrap up here monica i wanted to give you time obviously i'll link all the socials and stuff too but let's talk briefly about burn it down you guys have a new single out um super powerful it's this you know really kind of anthematic uh, song when you break it down. What was it like, you know, putting yourself in a position to, to kind of tell this story and, and this experience? Yeah, Burn It Down's an interesting one because especially being in like a male-dominated industry, I've always felt like a lot of pressure to not rock the boat, not be too feminist, not be too outspoken because even just like... It, because of inequality I guess um and trying to fit into the mold and be one of the boys and everything so this is one of the first songs I think that I've written that was very much from like a a female perspective or um a uterus owning perspective where I was witnessing rights in the U.S. being taken away from women in in terms of like um Roe v. Wade and also looking back at some of Australia's history where there's still um, there's states that only like legalized abortion just a couple of years ago and that's fucked. Um, (laughs) So, you know, like even, even in the press release, like when I was doing quotes about the song, like I'm, I've still been afraid to like speak about this song openly because like being in metal, most, you know, 70% of our audience is, is, is male but like um so I mean I I try and write songs that a lot of people can relate to in terms of like inequality for like marginalized communities but really the bulk of this tune is about being a woman and sometimes like how hard it can be and how um how the patriarchy has diminished like rights it's instilled capitalism which has only been in place for like a couple of hundred years and just really fucking us over especially right now 
Um, and it's just being, it's about being really pissed off about yeah. that. So the song is just about like wishing that we could burn everything, all the systems down and starting again with what we know now and like a better attitude towards things. But there's also this moment in verse two where it's really soft and it's like talking about the fact that trying to fight all the time for basic human rights is utterly exhausting and sometimes it feels lonely especially in the music industry as a woman like there's not that many women that are going that I personally know at this time and I really really hope that I meet more through like touring and stuff that I can go to um as as a support network so um that's one thing that I'm quite proud of is showing that dichotomy and whilst the song is a really angry anthemic, like let's all band together and like fight the fucking patriarchy and fight, fight these oppressive systems that all of us, every single human, um, no matter our like gender experience, uh, but then having this really soft moment in the verse that's like, and it's also hard. And it's also like, you feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders sometimes, but I feel like it's my duty to keep speaking up for these things. So um, I really like the song because of that contrast and like not being afraid to showcase that softness in lyrics and delivery um, and and musicality of, of the track. Um, but yeah, I, I, I envision I envision this track as like a uh, a theme song for some like crazy anime or something. Right. Like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's kind of the vibe. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think, you know, it is I've had this conversation with several people. Um, in fact, I think, I think it was David from Bellhaven and I that were talking about it, but, um, you know, the, not to get crazy political, but to your point about, you know, kind of these oppressive systems and, and the way that the, the systems, the, the politics of it just aren't set up the right way anymore. So burning it to the ground and and starting new with what we know now you know, like here in America, we have Congress people that are well into their 70s and 80s. And it's like, how are you in touch with what is real right now? Like, why mm-hmm. is there not an age? Somebody's going to shit on me about it. But Joe Biden, love him or not, like the dude's in his late 70s and just now going into, you know, just got into a presidency but in the normal workforce, we force people to start retiring at like 60, 65 years old. Like, so how is this a, a thing that we're allowing? You can't work a normal job at your age, but we're going to let you run a country. We're going to make you make decisions and laws. It's like, what the fuck is happening here? How do we allow this? Yeah. Well, <laughs> it just always makes me think of that, that um, like the little TikTok quip that it's like how is the best case scenario joe biden <laughs> right you've heard that yeah um oh, last night it brought me to tears actually that um and this um woman called hannah and um, i don't know her last name because i I've li- i'm not from new zealand but she's a new new zealand mp and i th- i believe she's in her 20s um and just even seeing that there can be someone in government um who is young and a woman and clearly very bright but also very much you know she was asked in an interview do you go to parties and she's like of course like you know she's in her 20s of course she goes to parties I think that's so it's so important and it's like literally literally seeing something like that on social media can bring me to tears because I just know how desperately we want it because um 
it's just wild. Like there should not be people running the world who will not be in the world in the next decade. That's it's messed right. up. Especially, yeah, making laws that are going to, again, not to get crazy political, but like in the U.S., it takes so long for a, a bill to become a law. And then to your point, a lot of these people that have voted on this are no longer potentially alive. They're definitely not in office anymore by the time it becomes a law, things like that. And it's like you're you're making these decisions and laws and rules for a world that you're not even going to be a part of. And something that they're not even experiencing themselves while they're here. Yes. Yeah, for sure. And And usually something that they know absolutely nothing about or not the depth of knowledge that they should. Um, I mean, even, even here, we just had this big referendum about whether our first nations people are allowed to have a say in, in issues that affect them. It doesn't mean that they are going that there's going to be all these laws suddenly created. It just means that there is a First Nations representative in the government, um, in always, right. when it comes to discussions around issues that affect them. Like it's they were here first. It's their land always was always will be and it and and, and disappointingly and. I really didn't think it was going to go this way, but I shouldn't be surprised. Disappointingly, the bulk of Australia voted no. Um, and we, I, it just goes to show that there's just such a long way to go. And it's like, why is it so fucking hard to have something? I think you're back. You broke up for a minute there, but you look like you're good now. Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, to summarize, like it's not that fucking hard to have people in government that are actually knowledgeable about the laws that they're creating, like full stop. So, yeah. Yeah, Well, it's all government short of, you know, the monarchy and, and patriarchy of the UK, like most governments, when you go to a democracy, like it's intended to be a government for the people of the people. So like, how are we mm. going to not have everyone represented that we're trying to say that these rules apply to, um, you know, to your point, the first nations and for Australians and for us, the native Americans or indigenous people, uh, here, like, it just, it, it is mind blowing that you're trying to make a rule or this law that affects a certain person, even if you just went male and female, right? Like, you mm. mentioned Roe v. Wade earlier, like, why are we not letting the women have this fucking discussion? Me as a man, like, I'll, I'll help support any way I can or whatever, but like, I should not be the figurehead talking about the fucking issue, period. You muted yourself. <laughs> exactly. Sorry, my computer's just having having some issues right now. It's, yeah, it's charge. So if I cut out, then that's why. But, but yeah, you're all good because now at at the end of this, now that we've went a little political, uh, kind of the the traditional wrap up question is, or wrap up segment, if you will, I guess, is obviously I'll link all the socials and everything. But what's the best way for people to find you online? Best way to interact? All that fun stuff. Yeah, so head to um, the Last Martyr 
uh, the lastmata.band if you want to check out our website and that has all of our upcoming shows um, which we're hopefully going to be announcing some shows for 2024 um, you can get to our music from there but we're on all socials so it's just the last matter on Instagram is usually where we hang out on TikTok as well with the last matter band um, and yeah we love like chatting to people in the comments and in the DMs so if if a song has resonated with you or um, you've seen us live or anything at all like definitely come let us know because it really makes our day yeah awesome monica i've appreciated this conversation so much i re- like i said i think there's several more episodes we could do because we can definitely get hyper specific on some of this so we'll definitely yeah. be talking in the future but uh musically i think you guys are in this really cool space where um you know it's heavy and alternative music especially right now is in such a uh in incline i guess uh a growth period if you will um and has so many eyes and and kind of spotlights on it it is becoming more and more accepted so to have someone in the the space like you that's willing to talk about these issues and really make it personal and and a advocacy of equality and just empowerment in general regardless of race religion sex whatever like we all, like you said earlier, we're humans. We all have the right to be happy and, and explore what it means for us to to have this human experience. And I think you guys are are pushing that message forward. And I, I really think it's, again, just a really cool space that you're in right now. And hopefully uh, the eyes and ears and everything come to it and, and make it just amplify that much more. Thank you. And, you know, appreciate you having a platform that we feel safe to actually talk about these things um because yeah listening to some of your episodes I just think that they're so powerful and and I I know that there's a lot of musicians who are sharing about certain things for the first time on your platform so yeah thank you so much for facilitating that and then getting the message out to the wider community yeah absolutely thank you so much you go enjoy the rest of your day i'm uh probably going to go to bed soon because i got up at four this morning for no reason uh (laughs) so um i'll keep you posted on when this goes live i believe we're looking at uh i won't do it on christmas day it was supposed to be that week so it'll probably be like wednesday the two days after christmas that it'll go live um but yeah thank you so much for having this talk and we'll definitely stay in touch Thank you. Thanks so much, Josh. And yeah, hope you have a relaxing evening. Awesome. Thank you. Bye. Bye. And that was my conversation with Monica Strutt of the band The Last Martyr. Um, again, huge shout out to her for taking the time to have that conversation with me. Um, we joked before the episode, it is nice uh, the way that my schedule is set up to work with artists in Australia and a lot of overseas areas um, because it's not super inconvenient most of the time. Uh, So she was able to, you know, start her day and then have a conversation with me and then go carry out the rest of the day. So um, again, just really thankful for her and her story and being open, honest and, and vulnerable for you guys. Um, You know, it's, it's not easy to, share these stories a lot of times and um like monica said you know she tends to be someone that can write music or journal or whatever and and be very 
uh, articulate about things, but it's not always as easy to talk about them. And I think that's the experience of a lot of people where it's uncomfortable and for some it's hard to vocalize in a way that is understandable or that is accepted maybe. Um, so it is hard to talk about a lot of times, but thank thank you to Monica for, for doing this and, um, and letting you guys in a little bit. And I do think, you know, there's probably some more conversations that her and I are going to have about specific topics and things like that. Um, but for now, uh, be sure to go check out their music, The Last Martyr. They're still dropping new stuff. They've got all kinds of, of new music out. And um, most recently, they just dropped the single Burn It Down, which we talked about there at the end. Um, so go, you know, play that as much as you can. Uh, give them the support. We'll have all their socials and everything linked in the description of this podcast, so do all the free shit. Go like, share, subscribe, and follow um, the band and just kind of stay in touch with them on what they're doing. Uh, and yeah, that's everything I've got for you guys on this episode. So uh, be sure that you like, share, subscribe, and follow the podcast as well because that does help immensely uh, when I am booking guests and things like that. Uh, those numbers are definitely things that management and PR take a look at. So, uh, let's keep the, you know, that growth that we saw this year, let's keep that going. It was really a very, very good year for us. So, um, yeah, that's everything guys. So as always, remember, take care of yourselves, take care of each other and you make the scene.